Today's episode of The Aggressive Life has adult themes and adult content. Well, welcome to The Aggressive Life. What does it mean to be aggressive? It means to not allow life to accidentally happen to you. It means to take control of your life. It means to do things in your life. It doesn't mean taking your physical power and dominating somebody. It means going forward, moving. I read a book that is just fantastic. It's all about that. It's called Green Lights. It's by Matthew McConaughey. Whatever you think you know about the Hollywood star Matthew McConaughey, throw it out the window. He's more than an actor who's portrayed some of the most iconic characters in cinematic history. He's more than a minister of culture and professor at the University of Texas for a course he made up himself. He's more than the creative director for Wild Turkey Bourbon with his actually own batch called Long Branch. He's more than the Lincoln commercials. He's more than the Academy Award. And he's more than his iconic phrase, oh, right, oh, right, oh, right. Matthew McConaughey, we have here today. Let me tell you about this man. You read his book, you understand about him. He is rigorous and vigorous. He is rigorous and vigorous. And I think more of us should have that. He He's done that in his life. We're talking about recounting the way in which he was spanked as a child. That was rigorous going on motorcycle trips, huge career risks. It's a full, full life that he's lived because he is an aggressive man. Welcome to The Aggressive Life, Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Three affirmations right there out of your mouth. How are you, Brian? (laughs) I'm fantastic. Everybody's got to say all right, all right, all right to you all the time, right? A lot. It precedes me. I love it. And I'll tell you a quick story why. Talk about aggressive life. Talk about what that means, aggression. And you, 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 uh, you talked about what it doesn't mean. You know, those three lines are basically aggressive lines because they are affirmations, which is uh, another form on the lower tier of aggression. Those are the three words I said as the, in the very first scene that I was ever in in my very first movie. Days Confused, 1992, the summer of 92 in Austin, Texas. I didn't know if I was going to work for one night and be able to go become a lawyer and say, oh, I got to act one night in this little movie back in 92, or if it would turn out to be a job or a career, and it turned out to be a career. So the very first three words I said, if people say I'm ahead of me, they put a smile on my face because it calls back to the very beginning of my career. If someone gave you a picture of your life right now in 1992, would you have believed it? Yeah. Yeah. You would have. Really? Yeah. Wow. Tell me why. Um, I mean, you know, I I could, like I said, I would not have written this down. If you just said write 100 versions of where you are in your life, this is not the exact life I would have written. I think I'd have written something kind of close, some versions of it. But, I mean, as far as I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have looked at it at 21 years old and gone, oh, my gosh, no way. Uh-uh. No. I mean, I mean, the the... My, the, the roof, the lid was off my mind in dreams about what was possible out there. I was still learning what the hell was possible. But um, I had no, I had nothing sort of holding back my ideas or dreams of what I might become. I, I just didn't know what the hell it was going to be. Green lights, which I've been going through, dudes. It is honestly downright mesmerizing. And what was so, so, it, what is so good about it and surprising it, about it is, I thought people in Hollywood had very simple sanitized lies before hitting it big. You didn't. Oh my goodness. Right. And 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 your life has been a full life. I'll just give give one one story, have you jump on it if you will. <laughs> if you've been around, you know the one of the huge problems we have in our culture is we don't bring males into manhood. There's no transition from boy to man. All ancient cultures, there's a rite of passage. You got to jump over a cow. You got to you got to bring a bald eagle feather down from a down from a mountain or something like that. America doesn't have anything, so we keep trying to prove our manhood by, you know, getting wasted nonstop, doing things with women, or or lying about the things that we did with women when we really didn't. Having yeah. huge pickup trucks, trying to prove our man because no one's ever told us to. Matthew had a swearing in ceremony, and. I, 
where, where he knew he was a man, like every guy in your, in your, in your family, I should probably have you tell that story instead of me recap it. Cause it's, it's amazing. Tell, tell us about your swearing in ceremony when you know you're a man. Well, I mean, there's been a few, I, I'm going to pick up. I think I know which one you're talking about, but yeah, talking about initiations and rituals from boyhood to manhood. We, we, yeah, yeah. We need to work on that bridge, especially in America. I think, I think, and I think you pointed that out. We really do. Um, all your one brothers arm. went through the same one, right? Uh, yeah, they had, my two older brothers, uh, you know, I've got uh, a brother. I'm, I'm 51. I've got a brother 58 and a brother 66. They had their rites of passage and their rituals to becoming a man. And it's sort of the deal with my, my dad was a big man. And he was, he was not a macho man. He was not a man who was macho in the form of aggression that you said earlier is not what you're talking about. He was a, uh, um, you know, 6'4", 265, played defensive end and played a year in the NFL and was just a bear a bear of a man. The hands that healed were the hands that could hurt. Mine mine was after I had just turned about 18, 19. I'd mainly been raised by mom. And um, um, dad's business had gotten really successful, so he was on the road more, so I wasn't as much. He wasn't around as much. Well, you know, I was... But I was a golfer. I wasn't a. I didn't play football. I wasn't a fighter. I'd been in a few fights, but I wasn't that guy. But we went out one night. We stopped at a bar on the way home from um, from work, and we were on a little feeder road outside of Houston, Texas. And we went and had a few beers. And on the way out, this bouncer, big bouncer, big bicep bouncer, puts his hands up on my dad's chest as my dad's walking past out the door. Puts them lightly on his chest and goes, uh, "Did you pay your bill?" And my dad just kind of sloughs the guy's hands off and goes, "Yeah, we paid the bill." And we had we had paid the bill. Well, I, would, I, had, I had gone at first, and I remember looking back, and to see somebody, another human, put their hands on my dad when he didn't want them to, but it, it was very casual. I, I, I a switch flicked in me, and next thing I knew, I was getting pulled. Uh, next thing I knew, I was hearing whispered in my ear, that's enough, son, that's enough. And I, and I kind of came to... And there was a forearm around my neck holding me back. It was my dad's forearm. I could really recognize his voice. And I was back inside the bar being pulled about 10 feet away from this bouncer who was on his back with a bloody face and laid across a table in the bar. Mm. And I snapped. It wasn't a typical ritual that you set up for your kid. But for my dad, it meant to him, ah, I remember him saying, the youngest one's going to be okay. And that was me. And what he meant was he put himself physically on the line. He had the courage to put his ass physically on the line. It wasn't about the win or lose. It was that he put his ass physically on the line. It wasn't that he stood up for me, his dad. It was that he put his ass on the line. And for my dad, that meant, ah, that kind of courage or whatever it is, is going to help him negotiate life when he gets out. Because he was concerned. That that I would, because I was a great talker. I was a great debater. I could talk my way into things. I was a really great salesman. He and he understood all that, but he he wanted all of his boys to go. If it comes down to it, where words aren't enough, if it comes down to it, where negotiation verbally and civilly is not going to get what you want, and it comes down to you and somebody in the proverbial sand pit, <laughs> or you know, mono mono physical. He wanted us to have Sometimes that. violence is the answer. I know that's shocking for some people to hear, but sometimes it is. Well, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to boo-hoo and poo-poo a lot of times. Where We had violence in our family. We had things going on in our family that people would put their hands over their mouth right now. And go, oh, my gosh, you can't do that. That's child abuse. Well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for my two older brothers. We were never injured. Um, they were. We, there was quick and uh, physical punishment and corporal punishment in our family that I look back on. I'm not judging my parents to say it was wrong. Hell, it, it, their, their point, their point was let's get it over with. <laughs> it happened quick. It was done. And then you had a cheeseburger and never talked about it. Again. And you don't forget it either. It makes an impression in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't take up your time. And that was my parents always version of, we're not going to ground you because that would be stealing your most valuable asset time. So just, Bend over, take the licks, and let's forget about it and move on. Um, but yeah, for my father, and coming from where he came from in that generation, you know, physical physical interactions and, 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 and aggression and even a, a fight or something, or that, that, those are certain rites of passage. Wrong or right, I'm not judging, but they are. And so when you said sometimes violence is an answer, you damn right, 
what, what, okay, wrong or right, that night meant something to him. And I understand why. Tell us about your, the, the, the title of your book, Green Lights. I think it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's great. Just just give us the pitch for the book because it's really not so much the book. I'm not asking you to pitch your book, though. We're talking about your book, so I think everybody should get it. I think it's it's one of the more invigorating reads I've had in a long, long time. But the premise even behind the title is why I wanted you to on, on The Aggressive Life. Talk about why it's called Green Lights. So, Green Lights. Um, look, think of the traffic light. That's the, that's the symbol. That's the metaphor here. Um, you got a red, a yellow, and a green light on traffic light of life. Well, my proposal is that they're all green. That um, that doesn't mean you blow through each one. Look, we love the, the we love the literal green light on the highway of life. It says go, proceed, carry on. More, please. Thank you. Forward. We don't really like the yellow and red ones because they slow us down or make us stop. A yellow light can be an introspection. A yellow light can be a pause before we move forward. Or uh, um, um, you know, thinking about something before we do it. We don't really like them, but we need them. They're consideration. A red light we really don't like. That's a crisis, a hardship, a jackknife, uh, uh, a pain, uh, um, death, loss, um, getting fired. You know, we don't like those, but we find out that we needed them. There was a lesson in the yellow and red lights, especially the reds, uh, even all the way down to a death in, a, in, in the family or a friend. There's a lesson in there that we're supposed to learn that is not hoity-toity, light, let's look at the Hallmark card, bright side of things. No, there's a real sound lesson in every red light we have if we choose to find it. And when we find that lesson in a red light, that's when it turns green. It doesn't deny the crisis that the red light in life is, that whether someone gets sick or death or a hardship or fired or whatever or divorce or whatever, it doesn't deny the hardship. But it does reveal something that goes, ah, this is something I didn't have, a tool I didn't have that I'm now taking forward with me. And when we do that, that red light becomes green. That yellow light becomes green. The art of living seems to be in the yellow light. Hmm. What the hell do we do? Do we slow down and let it turn red and really invest in this moment because we need to stop and evolve? Or do we blow through that son of a bitch and put the pedal to the metal and go, I ain't giving this crisis credit. I'm Because sometimes in life, so many of us, we slow down at every red light. When we could have, should have just blown it. And we turn little molehills into mountains. We turn little problems into major problems. And we're stuck at red lights and we're overcome by the weight of the world because we kind of brought them on ourselves or we invited them in. Other times, we blow through all the yellow lights and never stop at a red light. So therefore, we never evolve. We never consider. We never change. We never grow. And I would, I would also say to uh, piggyback on the title of your show, aggression is not running every yellow light. Aggre- true aggression is not just put the pedal to the metal, go. No, if that, you, you, you revolve if that's all you do. You make the same mistake every damn time if that's all you're doing. We need a yellow light. We need a red light in life to stop, pause, consider. Why the hell do I keep stepping in that damn pothole? The same one every damn time I make this turn. Or why do I make the same mistake every time with this person in my life? Why do I keep practicing that bad habit? We don't change those unless we create a red light in our life to stop and go, enough's enough. Hang on a second. I'm changing the bar here. Mm. And so we need a red light. We come out of that. That's true aggression because you have some evolution and we've come out and proved and we've turned a red light green. Now we're growing. Yeah, that's a good word. It reminds me there's a need to rest and a need to go. And what I hear you saying is, you know, the red lights are maybe <clears throat> times we voluntarily rest or we're forced to rest. Yeah. And the green lights are where we got to go. And I find having that right balance is critical. I, uh, this is my first day back in my day job office right now. I've had an extended time away, an extended break. I've had extended red light. And I just realized like a couple of days ago, like, I got to get back in the office. I am I, I, spending way too much time on introspection right now. I am yeah. way, spend way, way. I, I got to get going. I got to get a Take green light. Time to go back, get on the field. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my whole mood just today is just, it just lifted. It's been amazing being with the green light instead of being in a pause like I have been the last several weeks. It's been, it's been great. But did you get something from the pause that you may not even know yet that's going to evolve and make you better at your day job that you're doing now because you took that time off? Oh, I absolutely. And you yeah. may not know what it is yet. Right. Oh, I definitely did. Well, and you know, the Bible talks about Sabbaths. Sabbaths are an absolute red light, right? 
one day out of seven minimum. Just freaking stop. Intentional. Right. And, and, you know, and look at us. We, we, people like probably it sounds like yourself. I know myself. I like to go, man. I, 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 go, I go well on reserve tank. I can, I can perform really damn well when I'm running on fumes. I need that, but, but, and I don't want to take that, that, that seventh day. I don't want to take that forced introspective day sometimes. I don't want to. That can be the longest day of my damn week. That can be the most uncomfortable day of my week. But if it's uncomfortable, that's more reason why we need it. Because we got to get comfortable with going, uh-uh, I'm supposed to sit and be number two. I need right. to sit and have an objective 360 view of my life, the last week, where I'm going, where I've been. Those could be really uncomfortable times. And if we are uncomfortable in those times, it's usually a little alarm going, that's why you need it. Well, it, t- it ties into one of the quotes you have that I, I think is just brilliant. It's like, it's like one quote after another. Here's one. <clears throat> I'm not perfect. I step in shit all the time. I just learned how to scrape it off my boots and carry on. <laughs> that, brother, that's a good word right there. That, that'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, you get you'll get some good folk bombs in this uh, in this book. Yeah, I mean, look, we have an over. I think part of our challenge in life, and even now, especially, you could point it out where where we are given more credit to our privileges than our principles. We have this idea, and I suffer from it too, that when things are going perfect, when they're going really really well, that that's how it should be, that that's it, that's the mean. I'm not stepping in shit right now. Therefore, I should be able to walk through a step in shitless life. Well, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we, we have an idea that, 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 that life's when it's going well and it's going easy, that that's how it's supposed to be. No, it's not how it's supposed to be. Just appreciate the hell out of it when it is that easy because you will step in shit again coming up soon. When you're going downhill, I have a chapter in here about don't trip yourself running downhill, which I've done many times. Don't trip yourself running downhill. When it's easy street, roll with it because the uphill's coming. You don't even got to create it. We don't have to create it for ourselves. We've got clean shoes. We're walking. We're dancing through the street, not stepping in shit. Don't be looking for a pile of shit. It's coming. You'll step in it anyway. Um, So we have an idea in our minds that maybe life's too easy or when it's going easy, that's how it should be. And I think that's a, I like that line because it sobers me up to think, we're gonna step in shit. Let's own up to the fact. Let's own to the fact that that uh, um, we're not going to create a utopian society. Yeah. Let's own it's, up to that fact. We are still. We're not going to have a kumbaya society. We're gonna have to keep trying to hopefully do the best we can and evolve. But man, we're still only tapping into ten percent of our our brain. We're still mammals. We're still people. And if there's one thing you can depend on us being is people, and that's damn unpredictable. Well, and you've got a. To your red light, green light, you stop to scrape it off, but you got to keep going. Yeah, I think that's a message, good message for us as a country because I don't think we've ever had as many depressed people as we have in America right now. I mean, every statistic just looks really, really bad. It's been a really, really rough run, and I've just learned that. The longer I look inside of myself, I stay where I am. I look inside. I look inside. A part of that is okay, but the longer I stay just fixating on my own thoughts, the deeper and darker I get to. I've got to. I've got to get moving and have maybe my friends ask me questions that I have to respond to. But I've got to. I can't just stay. I, that's what I like about that thing. I'm, I'm scraping it off. I got to stop right. Just scrape it up. I got to get going again. But let me throw this at you. It's like a road trip. For giving ourselves, you go deep into yourself and it gets deeper and darker. You may say, okay, it's time to, par- that's that's a sign to pull the parachute. The other side of that coin is you hadn't gone far enough. Go to the other side and all of a sudden there comes the sunshine. You go, ah, okay, I get it. All that deep and dark stuff is me. Well, I'm going to shake hands with it and I'm going to start getting along with the one son of a bitch I can't get rid of, me. There, maybe you hadn't gone far enough. Sometimes I don't think we do that. Now, do I think we're all fit to, do I think we all need to go be monks and hermits and go away for 10 years of our life to have introspection? Well, that'd be a damn luxury or a horror show and a nightmare for many. And some of us are put out here to be communicators, to say, get back in front of the mic, go communicate, work it out over the mic, work it out in your day job. I'm all for that and think that's true. But I, 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 I would have to say, I think... 
more of us need to do more work to get to know ourselves before and, and, and enjoy. We are in a forced tread light right now. Yeah. To grow in pain. It, it good. I mean, if that's where people are depressed and lost, the trust that we're going to come out of it. That's part. That's part of. It. We can't sit here and go. Is this the mean? Is this how it's going to be? Are we always going to be this lost and confused and frustrated? No, yeah. we're not. But but use this time. We all have to collectively use this time. And right now we don't we don't see the green light out of this time. I I venture to believe that we're going to look back at 2020, 2021, maybe 22. We'll see how long this new world stop goes. Stop it! Stop it! Stop hexing us! Stop! Hey, no hex! No hex! What I'm saying as well is. If we get in our mind that this is, what have we been, why is it, part of the reason it's been so damn hard the last two years is because we've been living in limbo. We think next week it's all going to go back to normal. And then it's next week. And then it's next week. And we've been doing it for 18 months. Right. So if we get in our head, hey man, I purchased a ticket whether I wanted it or not. I'm on this damn train and I don't know when when I can get off of it. If we prepare for it being a longer journey, a longer hardship, a longer penance than we are expecting, we'll deal with the penance better while we're in it. Yeah, you've got a you've got a resiliency bone about you that is very rare. Not just in your talking about that, but a resiliency bone like we talked to your dad. Let's go back to your dad. I mean, a lot of folks if they had to live your childhood would be in therapy every day, all day. I mean, you've got you've got pictures of your mother's middle finger. It's been snapped off, snapped by your dad three times, and you're laughing. Here you are, you're laughing four times, laughing about it. You've got. I mean, the stories are just amazing, and yet it doesn't seem to have scarred you. It doesn't seem to have made you bitter. How did you do that? Well, let me go back to my reaction. I giggled, and you went, "Look," and you're laughing about it. There may be listeners or watchers out there going, you can't laugh at that. What are you doing? That's 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 callous. You know, the first person that not only laughs at that and says, I needed that. I mean, I needed your father. Him, when I was banging his, this is my mother talking, when I was banging his forehead with my middle finger, bam, 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 I was asking for it. And he finally just goes, Katie, get off me. And bro, the first person to say, I needed that to communicate is my mother who's 90 and in the other room and to this day proudly holds up that finger and goes, you damn right. <laughs> Do I judge her and go, you can't think that way? No, that's not my place. Do I go, I'm going to take on that in my life as a child. That's what I need to communicate. Well, that's my choice. The answer is no. I don't want, I don't want that to communicate. Me and my wife don't want that rocky road to communicate. My mom and dad were married three times, divorced twice with her four broken middle finger that she banged in my dad's head. She pulled 12-inch kitchen knives out on the man with real intent that I actually got to witness. Did we laugh it all off like it was nothing? No, but did it move on and go, that's how, they told us that's how we loved each other. We're not, and they didn't judge each other and we didn't judge them. So I didn't come away from it horrified, but I also didn't come away from it glorified. I saw it and was like, damn, okay. And they didn't say, this is how you need to be in a relationship. This is how relationships are supposed to be. No, they were a single couple that were like, this is how we deal. We're not judging how anyone else does. This is how we do it. And it's how we got to do it. And and we love each other passionately. And damn it, sometimes it hurts. So using our nomenclature, those incidents as you talk about, those were red lights. There were moments that made you stop, go, ooh, but you moved on. You were able to get a green light and just go, I want to move on from that and not not think about it, well, dwell what, on what, it. What was the ultimate? What, what did I ultimately learn from it? That the love wins. Like I said, divorced twice, married three times. Not married twice, divorced three times. Love won three to two. They had, there was 10 times more times where it was love, hugs, and tears, and dad rubbing her head to get rid of the migraines when no medicine could do it. When dad healing arms and broken bones from sports or something like that and, and holding us kids when we were afraid or had lost or were in pain, there was, a, there was a 10, 20 times more of those incidents. I chose to tell the more ugly, violent ones in the, story, in, the, in the book because those were the times where you go, oh my gosh, this is when the love's going to break. This is when it falls apart. This is when the family breaks up. But no. 
It wasn't. It tested that love, but it never had a chance. The love always won. So for me, those are the love stories because they were the conflict that tested. They, they, they were the, the antagonist to go, that's what's going to break this whole family down. Here, here comes, here's comes where we see it all fall apart. And it never fell apart. It never fell apart. It bent. It never broke. So that's why I choose to see them as, as love stories because it tested the love so hard. I also find you're, you're wearing your faith on your sleeve, which, which I appreciate. Um, God has a major role in your book, major role in your life. You're not, you're not shy about that. You've got your favorite scripture verse. This quoted, and I'll, I'll read it in the in the version that you have, Matthew six twenty two. If thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Tell us why and how that thing means something to you. What's that mean? It 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 reminds me daily to ha- take and have a high eye, H I G H, a high eye. We've talked about words like yours to show aggression, affirmation, seeing. People call it see the bright side. Look at the upside. Where does a red light turn green? That is a high. That is looking at something from a high eye instead of a low eye. Compare before you contrast. See how something can work before trying to point out as a cynic why it doesn't work. Let's put our finger on health instead of disease. Yeah, I know we got both, but let's shine a light on. Which one do we want to shine a light on? Which one do we want to 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 make more contagious? It's saying this. Um, Heaven, hell, the future, the past, technology, culture. We see these things as complete contradictions, okay? And when, in fact, the truth is where they overlap. That's the third eye. Now, what is our tendency to call that where something overlaps and we see a paradox, which that's a paradox? We go, oh, well, that's a shade of gray. That means it's it's noncommittal. It's not about anything. It has no identity. No. What I, what, what I hear what God's saying is, no, that's actually where all the colors of the truth live. That's where the truth is. That's where it's messy and it's beautiful. That's where the truth lives. It's not a shade of gray. It's not noncommittal. That's actually the honey hole, the third eye. So it helps me be much less judgmental about things that I should not be judgmental about. It helps me understand another side, yet still keep an opinion of mine. It helps me try to, when I go into conversations, not necessarily try to convert someone over to my way to hear that other side, which is over here and hear my side. And when I listen and go, I understand what you're saying. I may not agree with it. I've already, now we've covered each other. Now we've found the third eye. And I'm not going, you're wrong, I'm right. Or I'm wrong, you're right. I'm not being as judgmental, which I know I do tend to, and I think a lot of us tend to be about much too many things. And I would also prescribe that we get out of the Bible. We're quite arrogant to be so judgmental, aren't we? To all of a sudden just call ourselves judge and jury about everything. Where the hell do we get off doing that? Yeah, it's not like Jesus didn't say, judge not lest you be judged. He already warned us about that. But mm. we, uh, it's easier to read about that than not do about it. Yep. So, and you had a four-hour a four time of confession with the priest you talk, uh, you yeah. you write about. Tell, tell us about that. Uh, I mean, you, you yeah. confess what? What'd you have to confess for four hours, brother? Did you ever, ever confess no, anything in your life before? Gone, what? I could have gone on for four days. <laughs> I had to paraphrase that stuff. Good gosh. Four <laughs> hours, I thought, was five minutes. <laughs> so I ju- I'd just gotten famous in Hollywood. A Time to Kill was a movie where I got famous. First film I ever did was, was Days of Confused, but a Time to Kill is where all of a sudden the world saw me and the world became a mirror after that movie came out for me. Meaning, I didn't run into any strangers anymore. People came up to me, they had a biography on me. They asked me how Miss Hud, my dog, was. It was the first question out of their mouth and in my mind I'm going, number one, how'd you know I had a dog? Number two, how'd you know her name was Miss Hud? Number three, how'd you know she had cancer? I mean, you skipped all three things and before even saying your name. So I was feeling a little unbalanced. I was, the world had opened up where options were all open to me. The world, it was like, so many things, the world was saying, you can say yes to anything. So what do you want? Well, three days before A Time to Kill came out, I couldn't, didn't have the option to say yes to 99% of the things that were now being offered me. So when you don't have a chance, you don't have the options to say yes to whatever you want in the world, and all of a sudden you get them overnight, 
it's a strange thing. And you have temptation and you have, well, I want to try that because I've never have been able to before. So, hey, let me try it. Well, in doing so, you've learned by hook or by crook. Some things you're like, yeah, I'm glad. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad I got to fly first class. But then there's other certain things you try it and you're like, damn, I don't think that didn't feel good the next day. I didn't like that interaction. I didn't like who I was last night, even though it, I didn't like who I was hanging out with, whatever it was, whatever choices I would make. So I was trying to balance those and had sins of the, you know, my own flesh, sins of the mind, sins of the thought. So I need to get away. I need to get the hell out of Hollywood and go off and be stuck with myself and let my memory catch up and find out what the hell I was about um, in the middle of this new world where I could be anything I wanted. And I, uh, I found this book uh, that, called Getaways and, and, I, and, and had this Monastery of Christ in the Desert as one of the one-star places, meaning like there's no electricity, but if you can get there, we'll find you a bed. And so dropped me off, a friend dropped me off in New Mexico. I made a 13 and a half mile walk to this place, rang a bell. Um, uh, the father came out, gave me a, got a, got a cot. Next day I said, I, there's someone I need, I said, there's someone I need to talk to. His name was Brother Christian. I said, take a walk. Brother Christian and I, this monastery in the, in the desert, beautiful on the Chama River, went for a walk. And I start just confessing thoughts and monkeys on my back and demons in my mind and things that I was hung up on, places, ugly sides of me that were of mind and deed, et cetera, et cetera. And I, for four hours, mind you, like I said, could have gone on for four days. Wow. I do all the talking. He doesn't say a word. He walks hands behind back next to me, just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. After four hours, we end up back at the chapel. I'm now a, a, a wet mess, tears and snot running down my face, and I'm just... Yeah, you already walked 13 miles. You already walked 13 miles to get there. Now you got another, another four-hour walk. No, trust me. It wasn't a walk, that, that, that the reason I was this sweaty mess. And, and tearful mess. So we end up back on this bench at this chapel, and I finally feel like it's time to, I've, I've, I've exposed and expounded everything to him, and I finish. And I'm wiping my eyes, getting it together, waiting for him to go. I'm thinking the hammer's coming down. I'm thinking he's about to say, wow, you do have a lot to clean up, and here's what we're going to do. you got to pay some penance, and we're going to pray on it, blah, 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 blah. I sit there. He's silent for about 10, 15 seconds. And he didn't say anything. Finally, I look up at him. And I look up at him. He turns his head and he looks at me and he goes, Me too. And I, the floodgates open. Oh, man, he let me know in two words. Welcome to the human condition. Welcome to you, you, your, your problem, your strife is not yours and yours alone. It is specific and particular to you. Matthew, but we all go through these things. And in letting me know that he did not, in some way, he didn't literally say, I forgive you. He just let me know that I could, I could start moving on and forgive myself. He let me know that, you know, when you're having strife and you're in trouble, you think the world is circulating around you. You think that, you know, it's not that, that you are the sun and things get heavy. Those red lights get heavy and penetrate us. And in saying that, he just took a weight off my shoulders and let me move forward much more aggressively because I was stuck. Yeah. Start working on what I need to work on to change and to forgive myself for stuff that I didn't even need to be damning myself for. In those two words. And I found that to be true in life. You know, so many times when we go to people, we don't really want advice because advice is telling you what to do. And we want to find the answers for ourselves. And if someone can tee us up or just open up the aperture to let us know, hey, I hear you, me too. And we can deal with it better, which is what he did for me. You kind of make me feel like a loser. I'm sure you do that to everybody. I feel like I'm a loser. I'm like, man, I don't do four-hour confession sessions. I don't, I don't walk 13 miles to go confess. I don't, I don't wrestle a huge African man in his village like you do. I don't, I don't, I mean, you have story, I, you have story after story after story, which makes me go, I, I'm just watching too much Netflix. How, how do you, how do you get a full life like, life like you? It's, it's seriously, brother. You know that it's, it's, I know you probably scraped every possible story you could, but that, you got more stories in there that are amazing. Like, just give us a tutorial on how to live life because you've done an experienced life. It's not, 
I've I've had a great career and I've made a lot of money and now I'm going and having some expensive vacations because I can afford it. You you've got real nitty gritty experiences in life. How have you enabled that to happen? Well, I mean, look, my mom, my parents instilled a, a sense of adventure in us early. Like it was even growing up. I remember we weren't allowed TV, and I remember my mom saying. Like, why can't I watch that? Because why you want to watch somebody doing something for you that you could go do yourself? Get your get your backside out. Go out. Get outside. Go do it. So it was like, go do it. And it was always, we weren't readers. It was always like, shut the book. Go do it. Go write your own book. Early on, mom was pushing us to go. So if we were curious about any unknown, I think we had it instilled to me, well, go find out. Go to the blind spot. Chase the... Chase the spot. Go go into the darkness. Go find out. You know, get here early on. Get a passport. Get the hell out of here. I don't know. Put on a backpack. Come tell me about it when you're quit asking about it. Go find out. Come back and tell me the story. That was sort of instilled in me. Um, I went to Australia for a year, two weeks out of high school, which is a really hilarious horror story <laughs> in the book. Um, I always loved travel. I needed it. I found that I needed it spiritually. Growing up after I got my independence after 18 and 18 through my 20s and 30s, before I met Camilla and started a family, I was responsible for me. I was I was a singular independent man, and I had made a, uh, you know enough money to be able to purchase a ticket and go travel to places where I wanted to in the world, and I needed to. I was on my own spiritual journey because, again, going back to when I got famous, the world was a mirror. I was seeking anonymity which I think any healthy spirit and soul needs some anonymity. Well, when you get famous, you don't have anonymity. You have to find it. So I've always I've been seeking places on the earth, which as yeah. far as I can travel or want to travel right now, um, where nobody knows my name. I needed to go places where I go, I'm going there for 30 days, Africa, Peru. And when I leave after 30 days, the hugs and the tears and the laughter will all be based only off of the man they met 30 days ago, who they don't know anything. They've never seen a movie of his. They don't even know he's an actor. I'd always go and say, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a boxer. My name's David. I'd go under a different name, say I'm a different, because I, I didn't want anyone having any biography or expectation of what I did or being sort of uh, excited about what I did. So I needed to measure my own merit as a human, as a child of God, as a man, and I need to go where I could hear myself. Those are places where I could hear myself where I was stuck with me. I go to places where no, I, no one's, I don't speak the language. Boy, you want to get restless. Go off solo with a backpack to a country where you don't speak the language. Whoa, those are some long-ass days. You start communicating through charades. It, the first 12 days are hard. And then all of a sudden, you start to get the rhythm of it. You slow down a little bit. And for me, the hardest, I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, let's bring it down to something that everyone can understand. The hardest part about working out, you work out, you exercise? Obviously not, if you can't tell by looking at me. Okay. Well, yes, I work get, out. Okay. Yes. I wish I could arm wrestle you right now, little Hollywood what's boy. The, I wish I could. What's the hardest part? The hardest putting part? Putting on your shoes. Yes, right. Hardest part's putting on the shoes and tying them and getting out the damn door to go to the gym. So I've just had times where I was like, I got a hunch. I got to do it. I got to put on my shoes. I got to buy that one-way ticket to this place. I don't know what the hell I'm going to find. I don't know what it is I'm even looking for. All I know is I want to be able to put myself in a position that is foreign to me and, and, and stay there until I have worked it out to where I feel like I can be local there. And that's what I've done. And I've, 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 that was windows of you know intuition cross us very quickly and and we can let them go and if we go to sleep and don't act on them they can be gone tomorrow i must i have to admit i've been very uh, good at when i felt that going i'm doing it totally now. totally man you've got the and trying it and finding out yeah I've, you've got the uh you've got the get shit done gene it's really impressive and even down to stories like um i f i felt really relating with you on a bunch of levels. One was tree houses. I thought, yeah, yeah. I th no, no, no kid builds tree houses anymore. It, it just doesn't happen. I, I stole wood from houses that were in the neighborhood that were being built to build my tree houses. You, right. you got up at one o'clock in the morning <laughs> when your parents were asleep, 
thought through how to cut through a chain link fence, and then methodically were pulling stuff out under the fence for weeks on end. And then you, by the way, I call bullshit on this. Your tree fort was not a hundred feet high. Seriously, a hundred feet high. It may have been taller. You're right. I mean, seriously though, that that's really stunning. You you you've got a drive in you that I'm curious. Okay, did you decide? I just want to put things forward. Was it your parents? Was that you made a decision of your own? I mean, what? I mean, it's it's all through your life. I I'm I'm impressed. That's what I'm saying. Like sometimes I go, man, I I thought of a, a full life, but you you've got a go button even beyond mine. It's pretty cool. Well, you know what? I've never thought of this. Let's bring up that treehouse. Yeah. I didn't go out there with the idea about going, I'm building the tallest treehouse ever. I'm building a 13-story high. I spent, you know, a full month sneaking and stealing the wood out from that uh, that lumber Did yard. you confess Under- that, by the way? Did you did you confess that act of stealing to the guy in New Mexico? No, no. I didn't have time in that four hours. Okay. So you spent the time. Good. Back to where you were. And I gotta say that one that that the guilt of that one has never kept me up at night. <laughs> but for instance, I, I I I prepared for a month. I got enough so much wood that it was stacked so high at the base of that tree. Now it's like okay, quit stealing the wood. Now it's time to build. I built one story. It was solid, cool. Those limbs right there look like they can handle a second story. I built two stories. Whoa, look how high cool this is. Now I got two swords. Oh, let me cut a hole so I can have a pulley for my lunch in that basket. Oh, cool. Wow, wouldn't that be cool if I could pull it even? I think if I build one there. Then I built a third one and hung out there and thought that was so. And all of a sudden it just ended up being 13 stories later on. But I didn't, I just did it one story at a time thinking it was cooler each time and then going, how high will this tree allow me to go? It's awesome. It's really great. I, I'm. I hate to sound like a bunch of old middle-aged men that just say things like I'm going to say, but kids just don't experience life like that anymore. They're they're not out pushing themselves. And if they were, they'd have to have a seatbelt and a helmet on to go up that thing. Yeah, but let's, 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 you know what? We got to unpack that. How old are you? 55. You're 55. I'm 51. We have to watch. And everyone out there, men, women, we, we, we got to watch because every damn generation does this. Right. Well, you didn't do what we did. Well, we got we to change that narrative. It's an easy go-to narrative. And I hear you, I go to it all the time. We have to watch, not repeat. We, have, we talk about this gener- new generation, generation Z, their entitlement, stuff like that. And I'm concerned with it too, okay? Um, but we have to also realize that we're being entitled by default going to that, going, well, look at that. They never, that's that's us having our own entitlement. So I'm not saying it's untrue, but we got to watch it too because they're do, kids are doing it different ways. We got we to, I hear you. Every generation of American history, every generation of American history has always thought the next generation is screwing it up. Adams yeah. did, Washington. So I, I'm with you on that. I'm not so much lamenting kids aren't doing X, Y, Z. I'm just saying culturally, that's not acceptable anymore culturally to go out on your own and do that. I don't, shoot, man, the average kid doesn't even have any access to woods, let alone wood no, to I build hear, a treehouse. You know, I, I went to go get a model. The other, my dad and I used to stay up after dinner in the, in the garage and make models with the, little, the, the glue and you get on your fingers and it took, would take weeks to do it really well. They didn't have any glue models. They were all snap-on. I was like, wait a minute. We could, and we got snap-on and we did it like in two hours. I was like, wait a minute. Where's the model that took like three weeks on the newspaper and you get the turpentine right, glue off right, your fingers. Right. You have those stringers that, that like the strings of glue because you'd be so sloppy with them. We go from the mast of the ship down to the gun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, so, I mean, do they, do, are we, are we raising a generation and are we subject of it ourselves that like more immediate gratification that we can be experts because we say we are, that we don't go to the library because our library is right here on the screen and we don't even have to travel to go to that place because I virtually went there right here. Sure. Is that a sublimation for the real experience? In some ways, that's what it's become. Our kids, I think, are we losing out with that only virtual remote experience or being able to have things just to, it makes me question, what is education today? What are we, are we teaching our are we teaching our, uh, our, our our young men and women what they need to know to navigate and negotiate life when they get out? And 
what they need to know to succeed and supply something that the world demands. I don't know that we are. We have a whole lot more entrepreneurs now. I didn't remember. We, I didn't even know what a damn entrepreneur was back then. Probably, I don't know if you did either. I didn't even heard the term entrepreneur. Um, and there are some young people doing stuff and having the courage to act, and they are doing stuff at much younger ages than I ever thought it would be okay if I would. So to that, I can applaud. Mind you, um, so a friend of mine said this the other day to me. A very wise man said, look, this younger generation may do some really stupid stuff, but they are not afraid. That's a good word. To try. Matthew, we're coming towards our end. We're going to go into the lightning round. The lightning round is when I give you a line, and you got to answer it in one, two sentences max. Can you do that? Let's give it a shot. Before we do that, though, I got to ask you something, and I was very hesitant to ask you this because my kids said, Dad, you cannot ask him that. That would be <clears> insulting. <throat> but I'm going to ask you it anyway. And I have to say it on the front end. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I, I'm, a, I'm a literalist. I need to understand things and ethereal concepts I struggle with. So tell me. If you struggled with this entire conversation then because I love the ethereal. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, no, I'm not struggling with it at all because I, I think we're doing concrete things. But Ooh, me too. on the other hand, interstellar. Interstellar. Yes. Now, you have to explain this to me because no one has been able to help me understand it. What are you talking out of a bookcase for? Explain to me talking out of a bookcase to people. What I, I didn't understand that. My daughter's on the other side. Okay, but on the other side of what? What's the? But you're in a different dimension? It's a different time? Explain. You just said it. It's a whole different dimension in time. That's where the book uh, that, falls down. That's her going, Dad, Dad, it's me. I'm on the other. I'm I'm I'm, I'm over. I'm over here. It's it's in 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 uh, you know biblical terms. Um, you say that's you know you uh, could argue eternal life. You say that's heaven. It's another dimension on the other side. She's she's alive, trying to give me a message. And was there a significance about the bookshelf? or bookcase versus a chair? It's probably more uh, um, photographically appealing. Okay, all right, uh, that's cool. I, I think that's where I was getting messed up. I, th I thought like, wait, what's going on? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm not sure if uh, there was a real significance that it was a bookcase. Sorry, that was my worst question at the time, but it was most important to me. It's all about me. Okay. It's all about me, right? I wanted that it question answered for myself, so there you go. That's another thing I think we all need to call. It's all personal. We need to make it more personal. And when we make it more personal, we'll start doing better stuff for not only ourselves, but others as well. All right, here we go. The lightning round, Matthew McConaughey. Number one, best piece of advice you have for dads? Oh, for dads. Let me give one just from my parents. As parents, we go, oh, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. A real easy default one to go to that you can't screw up on. If you love your kids, you really can't screw up. Now, we got to define what that means. That doesn't mean give them everything. Being a, being a good dad is hard. Damn right it is, and it ought to be. <laughs> it, better, it better be. It's the, it's the biggest, biggest and coolest projects we have. Um Look for those. Uh, uh, look for those things that turn our turn our kids on. Try to give them those, but also give them enough resistance to overcome, so they can go out and navigate life when they're out of the house and they don't have us there as their fallback. Biggest lesson you've learned as a husband. <laughs> as a husband, um, don't compete with your spouse. Nah. That's, that's that old juvenile thing we used to do. Don't compete. You know, if you can find where there's certain things that uh, uh, they do better or like to do or enjoy doing more than you do, and maybe don't, don't, don't compete. Don't go, oh, well, I had the, I, I handled the last 10 things and now it's your turn. No, handle the 11th, 12th, and 20th if you got the hot hand. And it's, and on the other side too, let, let the other, let the other, to help them help help your spouse be be more them <laughs> and and that that can be that can be hard but but ultimately fun the key to your reinvention what you call the mechanosense right 
The key? Yes. What is that? Don't ask permission. The key to confidence. Oh, com- confidence is, I, I love that word. I love deconstructing that all the time. The key to confidence. Preparation and appreciating being being confident enough to pump up other people that are doing well to give them confidence. The most aggressive mistake you've ever made and what you learned from it. Most aggressive mistake I've ever made and what I learned from it. Um, Or you could do if Okay, I'll make it easier. Give us a, a green light or a red light mistake you made and what you learned from it. I, you know, I still, I, I got to find this one person in my, in my, uh, 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 the, the, the night of one of my great green lights where I was in a bar with my girlfriend and I met Don Phillips, who was a casting director for Days and Fuse. I went down and introduced myself, picked up a script, read the, the script, got the part. If I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got that part. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now. I wouldn't have gone down and introduced myself, taken that green light, that aggressive move to go down and introduce myself that night. Great green light. But I left some unfinished business. I was so excited about the opportunity of what uh, of getting that job, which I got, that I didn't have the bandwidth to gracefully sort of move on from that girlfriend. Um, I kind of became a no-show. I became so obsessed with this new thing that I was chasing in my life that I was really inconsiderate of, of her and her feelings. And I still owe, I still owe for myself, uh, um, and maybe her, she's probably fine with it, oh, uh, um, and a face-to-face and, and an apology for that. I could have been a better man, a bigger man. Biggest lesson you want to pass on to your kids? It's less about where you end up than how you got there. It's how you, it's how you get here. There's a way to, there's a way to fill up your soul, your soul's account and your bank account. Parlay the two, parlay the two. Don't take the short money, long money, long money. Invest in yourself, bet on it, bet on yourself. That's a good word. I'll give you uh, what you talk about death, and then we'll make this a final word. You can comment on this or, uh, or talk about anything else I haven't asked you about. You write this in your book. You say, we are going to die. Our eulogy, our story will be told by others and forever introduce us when we are gone. The sole objective begin with the end in mind. So what's, what's your end? I hope my end is getting there and going, looking back and going, yeah, you know what? You, uh, you chased a singular truth knowing you would never find it, but believing that you would. <laughs> it, to, it to call it a trick, call it whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm chasing unanimous. I'm chasing uh, 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 some great truths. I know I'm not going to forget them. I believe I can, though. And I think for all of us, we just, it's not about that, the result of the getting it, but just believe we can stay in the game, keep chasing that. That's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. And if we can all shake hands with the fact that we're going to, we're going to leave this life not having found and gotten everything we wanted, and that's okay. But look back at the school board and say, how many stairs did we? How many, how many different levels of our treehouse did we build? That's as good as it gets. We never get to the top. There is no top. It's infinite. Who are we? We're arrogant to think there is a top, you know? Um, so um, that would be it that I look back and go, well, good hustle, man. You, 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 you gave it hell. Um, good job. Tally up the scorecard. Looks pretty, looks, looks pretty good. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't make a perfect score. That's for damn sure. But I hope you didn't think you were. Anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? This has been fantastic. Um, you know, just in this time, we talked about it earlier where we're going through an unprecedented time with COVID, with Delta, with 
unrest and, and limbo and people not knowing what their what their future is and wanting to know. Have a life seems to be a mix of, hey, set your goal and go after it. Set that, put the headline up there and write your story head to that damn headline. On the other side, it's a lot of times our greatest achievements are what we said earlier. Just put on your damn shoes and get out the door. You don't, sometimes we don't know what the hell we're going for, man. All we just got to say, I don't know. I don't even want to go. I don't even know what it is. I'm confused. I hear you. Just tie your shoes. Just put your shoes on, head out and try again. And that seems to be the balance of all of our successes and failures and what we learn in life between those two. It's, and, 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 and spiritually for me, the ones that have filled me up the most have actually been the second. Yeah, the thing that just crossed my mind on that is that story in the Bible with, you know, Peter. He's in a boat and he sees Jesus and he steps out of the boat. And people oftentimes kind of chuckle at Peter because, well, he noticed wind and waves and he sunk in the water instead of going to Jesus. And and people forget the whole point that we're, we talk about that story, we learn about that story because he put on his shoes and got out. You know, we don't we don't talk about any other losers in the boat who just sat and watched. He got out. And yeah, he fell, but he got out and he moved. And history has partially changed as a result of that. And I think I think all of us would be better off just moving instead of having the perfect plans. That's a that's a good reminder for us. Amen. Just yeah. And and usually the failure doesn't hurt as bad as we think it it's 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 going to. Yes. We fall from that proverbial limb and we go, oh, I thought that was going to, you know, break my arm. And actually it was just a bruise. Okay. Jesus, it, it's usually a bruise when we think it's going to be a broken arm. Um, so fail more. My guest today is Matthew McConaughey. He's got a book that's a great book. It's called Green Lights. He's a very, very uh, deep man. He's got a lot of action and a lot of a lot of great insights. Matthew, if someone wants to follow up with you or on social media or anything else, any place you point them to? Uh, I export, you know, extensions of myself on my Instagram at officially McConaughey. You want to check out what we're doing in our foundation, go to jklivingfoundation.org. We got a cool thing going with the with, uh, Title One High Schools through America. Um, I got a new journal coming out that's going to be uh, uh, an amendment uh, um, uh, with green lights. Um, oh, you do? Keep writing. Yeah. Well, you should absolutely keep writing because you're a good writer. And I, I, when I was reading it, it was very obvious you did do the writing. This wasn't a ghostwriter thing. You no. did the writing and pulled in your journal. It's, uh, it's I, strong. I wrote man. every word, yeah. You know, I almost didn't. I had a ghostwriter on at the beginning because that's the that's the amount of courage I had. I didn't have the courage to go, I should write it. So I found a, someone else to go, well, I'll let them write it and I'll work with them. And that person got pulled off the job by the New York Times. And when that person got pulled off the job, I was like, oh, no, I got to find another ghostwriter. And just I stopped mid-sentence talking to myself. And I looked at my wife and she goes, yeah, you know what you got to do. Yeah. And it was like, get the hell out of here. Go write it yourself. Then you'll know. And I, I'm glad I did. I'm really happy I did. It was uh, one of the best experiences I've had. That's pretty cool when you're relatively later in life, not in your 20s, and you stumble on something that you're really good at and helps a lot of people. Yeah. Heck, I, did, I didn't know. I threatened to go write a book for the past 20 years and just never had the courage to do it. Scary proposition. Hell, I didn't want to look. One thing I didn't want to do for me, I was afraid of looking back. I got to this point, just keep the shade over it. And I went back and to, to have the courage to go back and look at it. As you said earlier, sometimes we do introspection and it's not good company. We don't enjoy it. Well, I write in the book, there's a lot of company I did not enjoy. But what happened is after after a while, started to giggle at some of the stuff I was didn't enjoy and go, well, tally it up, bro. You did it. It's a fact. You can't get rid of it. Oh, geez, there's another one you screwed up. Oh, there's another one where you weren't the man you wanted to be. Oh, what'd you do there? And all of a sudden started to laugh and go, okay. Yeah. And well, there's a lot of things we could laugh about and talk about. I didn't even talk about some of the things I wanted to, just ran out of time. You've done motorcycle trips. I'm a big motorcycle guy. You've done so many things, but you've blessed us with your time. This has been great. And I'll just tell all of us out in the aggressive life world, Hey, man, I know you like this. I know you liked it a lot. You know how we can have more of these? You can give me a really good rating, and you can give me 
some really good feedback because that helps me land great people like uh, Matthew and ask him some things that maybe other people aren't asking them. So if you like that, give us a good review and let's all give it up for Matthew McConaughey here on The Aggressive Life. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.